All right, Proverbs chapter number 25. I want to preach a message tonight titled, The Fight for Self-Control. The Fight for Self-Control. And we've been in our series, Foolproofing Your Life, going through each chapter of Proverbs. And I really like preaching expositorily that's through a whole passage or through a whole book. But the Lord has just really put on my heart the last couple of weeks singular verses that just really have a lot to say in them. And so tonight is just one verse out of Proverbs 25 with a lot of contextual verses that we'll go to uh, to support it. But uh, if you look at Proverbs chapter 25 and look at verse 28 with me, I think we could read this together tonight. So Proverbs 25 verse 28, ready, begin. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Edmund Hillary was the first man who conquered Mount Everest. He climbed all the way to the top. He was asked by an interviewer about his passions for climbing, and he gave this reply. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. Peter the Great of Russia, he quoted this. He said this. He says, I have been able to conquer an empire, but I have not been able to conquer myself. Hugo Grotius, a Dutch jurist and scholar, he said this. He said, a man cannot govern a nation if he cannot govern a city. He cannot govern a city if he cannot govern himself. He cannot govern himself unless his passions are subject to reason. And then, of course, Proverbs says this. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. I don't believe there's ever been a time before, and, and, and maybe I'm overstating this, but I don't think there's ever been a time before where Christians need to control themselves more than ever. We live in a, in a society and a culture where it's, it's pleasure heaped upon pleasure. You look under the Christmas trees of most of our homes, and mine included, I mean, and we have, we have, we have presents and we have everything in the world that we could desire. We have food. Uh, we have Grubhub now. You could take out a second mortgage on your house and order Grubhub. You could order five guys on Grubhub, and it'll cost you $100,000, but you can order it. Um, all I'm simply saying is, is more than ever, we need to be careful about this area of self-control. And I believe that there's never been a successful Christian life without self-control. So let's pray together tonight. Look in this passage. I think there's some things we can learn. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us tonight. I know many in the room are tired. They commuted. They've worked. Many here, Lord, there's visitors here from different time zones. And God, I just pray that you please help us, Lord, to, to clue into your word tonight, to stay focused and teach our hearts something. Lord, help us to change what we need to change. Holy Spirit, I pray that you remove me out of the equation and let the, let the word speak for itself tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Someone once said, those who try to gain freedom without self-control is like a ship, which is free when it loses its udder, its rudder, excuse me, not its udder. <laughs> well, you lose your udder, you're in big trouble, amen? <laughs> wow. A ship loses its rudder. It's free to sail anywhere, even onto the rocks. The Bible clearly teaches this. A lack of self-control doesn't lead to a normal life. It does not lead to better relationships. It doesn't lead to better monetary decisions. It doesn't lead to better life choices or holier living. In fact, lack of self-control is probably the main ingredient of most of our failures. People who try to lead a successful life without self-control is like trying to fly an airplane without a pilot. It's like trying to drive a car without a brake. 
You get the picture here. Self-control guides us. It helps us. It helps keep, keep us on track. And without it, it is detrimental to our growth. Any growth that you can uh, think of, emotional growth, spiritual growth, uh, physical growth, self-control is necessary in our life. A husband or a wife who has self-control can have harmony in the family where love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, humility, and gentleness prevail. A young person who develops self-control can do well in school and learn skills necessary to succeed and develop good relationships along the way. The more we have self-control as Christians, listen to me, the more that we have self-control as Christians, the more that God can use us in our life. Isn't that what God tells us, that we are to be vessels, meet, or appropriate for the master's use? How many of you have a dog? Raise your hand high if you have a dog. How many have a dog and you love your dog? How many have a dog and want to get rid of your dog? All right, yeah, some of you. And I have a dog, and outside is, is his bowl. His, he has a big water bowl and a, and a, and a bowl of uh, food out there. And, you know, sometimes I get thirsty. I'll be outside, I'll be outside working, on, and I'll be feeding the chickens and doing all the stuff that we do outside. And I'll be hot, and especially not right now, but in the summertime, it's very hot. And I'll be outside, and, and uh, you know, I've never one time, not one time in my life, Walked over to the dog pen, picked up the dog bowl, and went, I've never done that. Not one time. No matter how thirsty I was, I'd make Max go get me a water is what I'd. Max, get your dad a water. I never one time was tempted. Why? Because the bowl is what? It's dirty. It's a dog's bowl. Now, I'll tell you this, too. You bring that bowl inside. You can wash it and clean it. Still not drinking out of it. It's not a vessel appropriate for the master's use. It's a dog bowl. It's a dog dish. We want to be the kind of Christians that God can use in our life. People say, well, I can do anything I want. You're pretty much true there on that. There's some things you can't do, but you can pretty much live your life the way you want. But a Christian ought to want to live a life that they can be used by God in a great way. And so, and so we want to try to keep our bowl clean, so to speak. All right, so number one, if you're taking notes, let's talk about the struggle with self-control. There is a struggle with self-control. The struggle is real. Let's say that together. Ready to begin? The struggle is real. We all struggle with self-control in one area or another. You might be a health nut and say no to in and out, and I feel bad for you, to be honest. Uh, but you might be a health nut, and but you struggle with pride. You might struggle with pride, uh, but can't stop eating hamburger. You know, there's things that we self-control. So I want you to go to your Bibles to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter 5. You're all the way in Proverbs, so go all the way into the New Testament and uh, find the IAN books of the Bible and keep going. You'll find Galatians, <clears throat> Galatians chapter number 5. If you know Galatians, the book of Galatians is after Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. The book of Galatians chapter 5 deals with the fruits of the what? The fruits of the Spirit. So look at Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are what? Contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things that you would. In Galatians, Paul clearly helps us understand what's going on inside of us. He says we have this flesh. That word flesh, it's our earthly faculties. Really what our flesh is, is our brain. Our brain that sends all of the signals to the rest of our bodies. If you look up that word flesh, it has the same root word that we get the word epidermis from. 
It's the skin. It's what we feel. It's what we desire. It's what we long for. That the the immediate. Uh, 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 it's air conditioning. And all God's people said, "Amen." It's it's heat when you're cold. It's the soft cushion. It's what we feel. That's our flesh. In other words, our flesh wants to feel good. It lusts to feel good. It wants to feel good. There is much that God ordains within the boundaries of his will that indeed does feel good. Uh, I think it feels good when you sink your teeth into a, you know where I'm going with this, uh, piping hot, double-double with animal style, with ice-cold ketchup and crispy lettuce. Can I get a witness? Is anybody awake in this room tonight? I mean, it feels good when that ice-cold strawberry shake slides down. your. I'm telling you, it is good. There's some things that God says, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with fishing. Uh, I love to fish. The tug is my drug. Amen. And there's nothing like having a fish on the line. And uh, Brother Robinson taught me that one. There's nothing like feeling uh, an accomplishment of a job well done, the pride in doing something right, doing something well. There's nothing wrong with these kinds of things. There are things that we enjoy in life, emotions that we enjoy in life, opening Christmas presents and giving to others. But the problem is, is that our flesh, it wants to enjoy things too much, too much. Fishing is fine, but if you fish too much, you get fired from your job. Eating is good, but if you eat too much, you have health issues. Uh, Sleeping is necessary, but if you sleep too much, and so the flesh is always wanting more. And so our flesh develops patterns, habits, tendencies through years and years of saying yes to the flesh. Just to be clear about something tonight, a self-control issue is a sin issue. And some people say, well, you know, this is a sin and that's a sin. If you're not controlling your flesh, it becomes a sin issue. You might have problems with your flesh because of a past hurt or a negative experience, no doubt, no doubt. And perhaps you're raised in a home where sin was easily accessible or even pushed or taught to you, but it is still a sin and you cannot blame your surroundings or your upbringing if you have self-control issues. And so we just need to be clear about that. The Bible teaches that we are all individually responsible for our own decisions. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. And so everybody in this room tonight and on this earth that we live on, everybody struggles with self-control. Your struggle may not be mine. You might struggle with chocolate. You just can't. Uh, Man, I tell you, I have so much chocolate around me all the time. All these people, it's Christmas time, chocolate. Uh, uh, cookies and, and cinnamon rolls. And I'm telling you, I'm going to gain 25 pounds over Christmas. Your problem might not be chocolate, but it may be pride. Your problem might not be pride, but it might be losing your temper. We all have issues with self-control. Why? Because we all are flesh. Amen? The Bible says, for all have sinned. We're all flesh. We all struggle with self-control. Some people's uh, struggle with self-control take them really far and make them pay more than they want to pay and stay longer than they want to stay. And we know that. And so if that's where you're at tonight, I want to challenge you. We have things that'll help you here. If you're, that, if, you're, if you're in an addiction thing or something like that in your life, come see us. We want to help you with that. But for, for the majority of people, not majority, all people struggle at some level with self-control. Can I ask you a question? Who do you think, other than Jesus Christ, who do you think was the best Christian in the New Testament. Well, raise your hand and take a guess. Just anybody you think. It's not right or wrong, but just, yes, ma'am. Who? Daniel. In the New Testament. New Testament. I'll let you rethink that one. Yes, yes, ma'am. 
Yes, sir. John the Baptist. John the Apostle. Okay, all right. Who else? Take a guess. Yes. Luke, okay. Who else? Yes. Mary. Mary, did you know? Anybody else want to take it? Who said Paul? I heard somebody say Paul. Mrs. Andrews, Paul. Well, I, that, those are great. My, when I think of who the best Christian is, I always think of Paul. Paul was, I just think that way because I think Paul was very dedicated. I mean, the guy didn't even get married. I mean, he just, he just gave his life to Christ. I mean, so that's what I think of. And you could think John the Baptist, John the Baptist was Jesus' favorite preacher. And so, but I think of Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the Bible. He started churches. Paul did all these incredible things. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. If you're in Galatians, take a left back towards the beginning of the New Testament. You'll find Romans there not too far. Look at Romans chapter 7. I mean, Paul was an incredible Christian. Paul was dedicated. Paul, I mean, he started churches. Look at what Paul says. Look at verse 15 of Romans 7. For that which I do, I allow not. And for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. See the conflict here? Flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. Look at verse 17. Now then, it is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my what church? In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do it, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I want to do it, but man, there are some times where my flesh wins, Paul says. Look at verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. In other words, even when I try to do good, I find new things that I'm doing wrong. And then look at what he says, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Look at verse 22. 24, and this gives me a lot of comfort because Paul, I think, is one of the greatest Christians, maybe the greatest Christian since Christ. Here's, here's what he said. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? How many feel that way sometimes? Or a wretched woman, amen? Oh, wretched person that I am. And that's what Paul says. Paul the apostle, he wrote much of the New Testament. He had a struggle with his flesh. So we see that the struggle is real. But let's not stay there. Let's skip forward here to the solution. So number two, we see the solution for self-control. How do we gain self-control in our life? And I have to do this just as much as anybody else in this room. We all have to find the solution. Look at Galatians chapter number five. Let's go back there. Galatians chapter five. We read the first part about our flesh. Now let's talk about the spirit. Galatians chapter five. Look at verse 22. For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance means self-control, by the way. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and those lusts. And we live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. The great news tonight is that we all have help with our flesh. We have help. We have help. We don't have to do it on our own. We have the Spirit of God if you're saved tonight, you have the Spirit of God in you to help you with your flesh, to help you with your self-control. And may I say tonight that the Spirit of God is more powerful than the flesh. 
How many think your flesh is powerful? So is mine. Powerful. The Spirit of God is more powerful. If we could just live the fruits of the Spirit, we could be able to control our fleshly desires instead of our fleshly desires controlling us. James chapter 3, verse 2 tells us this, For in many things we offend all, but if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. James says, if we could just control our tongues, we'd be all right. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If I could just not say dumb stuff like losing your udder, everything would be all right. That was an utter failure. I was utterly embarrassed. From biblical perspective, self-control is really spirit control. Self-control, in the believer's perspective, is spirit control. The more we give ourselves to the power of the spirit, the more we have strength to control those parts of us that need to be controlled. And the more we allow the spirit to control us, the more we become like Christ. I want you to see something interesting about Christ Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter number four. Luke chapter number four. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Four Gospels start at the beginning of your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter number four. I want you to see something interesting about Christ that I don't know that I've ever thought about it this way before. But in the context tonight of, our, of trying to control those, those fleshly desires that we all have, and we want to have self-control, We see here something about Christ that's very interesting. Now, in Luke chapter 4, Christ is in the the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days. Has anybody ever fasted for longer than seven days? Once you fast about seven days, your body starts to shut down. It's an amazing thing. I can't imagine, Brother Asperly, fasting for 40 days. Remember that Jesus Christ was 100% human and 100% God. So his earthly body must have been shutting down. And I always thought for some reason that the devil tempted Christ three times. But that's not what the Bible says. Only three of the temptations are recorded. But look at verse 2. It says, being 40 days tempted of the devil. He tempted him for 40 days. I don't know how many times he might have used the three temptations a multitude of times. But in those days, the Bible says he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, afterwards he hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command the stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered, As it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taketh him to a high mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, This power I give to thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and whomsoever I will give it. By the way, that's an interesting theological verse right there. Don't forget that the devil controls dominions. And he says in verse 7, And if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Don't you realize that that's exactly what he said to the angels that he took with him? If you'll worship me, I'll give you all this power. That's how the devil talked the angels into following him. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give angels charge over thee to keep thee. Look at verse 11. And in their hands he shall bear thee up, lest at any time time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, 
Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And the devil ended all the temptation. He departed from him for a season. Jesus Christ was victorious in temptation. He was sinless. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus Christ was victorious in all of that. But I want you to see something here. As we understand that Jesus Christ had flesh, he was thirsty, he was hungry. We understand that he desired water. He was weak. And after 40 days, after rebuking Satan with the word of God, he prevails. But I want you to notice something. Look at verse number one of this chapter of Luke 4. And Jesus being what? Full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the what? Spirit, capital S, into the wilderness. I want you to notice one more thing. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him. I want to just, at the bookends of this story, I want you to realize that Christ was submitted to and used by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that Christ had. It's the same Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said, he said, it's better for me that I leave you, that I go away because the comforter will come. Can you imagine being a disciple and Jesus telling you that, hey, it's going to be better for you for me to leave. The disciples are like, what are you talking about? Because God, Christ knew that when he left, the Holy Spirit would indwell us. The power of the Holy Spirit helps us with our self-control. Just like it helped Christ in the wilderness, he'll help us. The solution for self-control is spirit control. Let me say that again. You say, that's too easy. No, it's not. Easy, by the way. Can you turn off my Siri? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why she doesn't listen to any other time, but while I'm preaching. The solution for this is self-control, is spirit control. Spirit control. If you're saved tonight, you should have experienced at some point the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're saved, you should have experienced the power at some point in your life. The other day, I was ironing one of my shirts and one of my, one of my dress shirts, and uh, I'm ironing it. Brother, Brother Didisho, I want to make sure that my shirts are sharp. I don't like any wrinkles in my shirts. And I get my shirts dry cleaned, and they come back, and, uh, and, and I notice they didn't dry clean them right. There's all these wrinkles in them. Boy, I was frustrated. And so I'm, I'm in there. I'm trying to iron it, and I start it. I plugged in the iron. The light comes on. I hear the steam. And I'm getting around, I'm start, I start working on the shirt and I get the, I always do it the same way. How many of you iron the same way every time? I do the same thing. I, I, I start with this panel, I iron it, I flip it, I iron it, I flip it. And by the time I got to the back panel, I noticed I'm not getting any wrinkles out. And I'm, I'm pushing on the ironing board. I'm like, what's going on? And I get the sleeve out and I'm trying to iron. It's not working. And I look and, I, and the, the iron had popped a breaker and the iron at some point had turned off. It was no longer working. There was no power to the instrument I was trying to use. And here's the illustration. We can press as hard as we like. We can iron it as many times as we want. We can do it the same way every time. But if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to help. In your context with your own self-control, I don't know what your self-control issue. Most people don't really know what our self-control issue is. Only we do. 
And we could try to fight that on our own. We could try to uh, uh, try harder. We could try to do everything that we can to fight that self-control. But I'm telling you tonight, if you're not plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit, you're just pushing as hard as you can and you're not accomplishing anything. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to have the Holy Spirit inside to work through you and to help you. It's not easy to do that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we have to tap into that power if we are going to be consistent in our self-control. So maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, how do I tap into that power? Consistent, uh, consistent self-control is very simple. Consistent time in God's word and prayer. Consistent time in God's word and prayer. How many say that sounds simple, but it's easier said than done? My hand is the first one up. We, we have so many things to do. We have so many things on our plates. I understand. But if we want to have that self-control, we must spend consistent time in God's word and prayer. That's how the Holy Spirit, that's us giving our, that's the, us giving, <laughs> we're letting the Holy Spirit take the wheel in our life. I almost said Jesus take the wheel, but I don't want to have you start thinking about a song that you probably shouldn't be singing while I'm thinking of here. So. It's giving the Holy Spirit the wheel and letting him control us. We know that the struggle with self-control is real, and we understand that the solution for self-control is spirit control. So where is the disconnect then? Why is it that so many Christians, we know the solution, we have access to the solution, there's not a shortage of Holy Spirit power, you can't pop the Holy Spirit's breaker, amen? As long as you're plugged in, He'll help you. Where is the disconnect? And this brings me to my third point, and maybe this will help some of you. It really helps me tonight. Number three, let's talk about the self-awareness of self-control. And some of you think of that sounds like psychological mumbo-jumbo. It's not. I want you to look at this verse one more time, and then we're going to break this verse down a little bit and close, all right? So look at Proverbs chapter 25, look at verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What in the world is he talking about? What does he mean that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls? This verse creates a metaphor. The word like is used. We see here that this metaphor relates one thing to another, and the relationship that's created here is that the city is people, you and me. We're the city. In this verse, he that ruleth not his own spirit is like a what? City. So the metaphor is we are the city. Is everybody with me so far? Okay. The city represents us. It represents our life. It represents our spiritual, uh, 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 our walk with God. It represents our prosperity. It represents our potential. And so if I don't rule my own spirit, then all of those things are in danger. So I represent the city. And if we as the city in this metaphor, then our spirit in this context is a protective wall. So is everybody with me so far? So we're, we're the city. And our spirit is the protective wall. But what does he mean by this spirit? What is this talking about? This spirit in this verse, it means literally our emotions being expressed. It almost has the connotation of, you know, you know when you get mad and you go, ah, mm, 
That's what it means. The spirit is, is, is ex- exhaling an emotion. Uh, uh, you know, when your kids, you know, uh, when, when they don't get their way. Man, I was in a Home Depot the other day and I was buying something. There was these people in front of me and this kid was going berserk. He wanted something. He wanted some candy or something. And he was, Mrs. Tanky, you wouldn't believe it. He was screaming and yelling and, and throwing a fit in Home Depot. I mean, the people are walking by like, what's going Are you beating your kid? What's happening? This kid was screaming and the dad was patting his back going, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> I thought that's why we have so many people in prison today. But anyway, um, but that's our emotions coming out. And so if we're the city... Our emotions, our spirit, our, our spirit of our emotions, our emotional integrity, they are what protect us. In other words, if we're the person, our protective wall is how we act. How many of you understand that it's important if we control ourselves or not? And so the spirit, it protects the person like a wall protects the city. If we cannot rule over our emotions, then the city is at risk of destruction. We have to learn how to control ourselves. I hope you're with me so far. But I notice something further here that I hope will help you. I see here that it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit, those emotions, is like a city that is what? Broken down. Broken down. Sometimes our spirits get broken down. Sometimes our, we, we have a damaged spirit. We have a broken spirit. Uh, and, and many times uh, we have a wounded spirit. And those things are not caused necessarily by us, but by other factors around us. Somebody hurts us. Uh, somebody in our life, we lose somebody. And our spirits are broken down. And when our spirits, those walls come down, we have a hard time controlling our emotions. And so maybe you're here tonight and you have a damaged spirit. You have a broken spirit. I think about people who, who snap at others or who, who, man, they get so angry so quickly. Why is that? It's because, many times it's because there's, there's something inside. Their spirit is broken. Brother Asperly was passing out gospel tracts the other night uh, in a neighborhood close by here. And I'm just handing out. Flyers, we're not really knocking on the doors right now. We're just, if people are outside. And there was this guy outside, he was doing his Christmas lights. And uh, I walked up to him and I'm just smiling. I'm having a great time. And I'm smiling, you know, <laughs> here I go. And I walk up to this guy and he goes, you know, and I just, hi, you doing? I'm so-and-so. And I said, I want to invite you to our church. We're having a blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yes, thank you. And he like walked away. Thank you. There's something going on inside of here. How many understand what I'm talking about? When our spirits are broken down, when we are wounded in our spirit, it affects our emotions, and a lot of times we get out of control. We lose our temper at the drop of a hat. We struggle with depression and mood swings. We find ourselves saying things that we regret to our friends, to our family, to our spouse, to our loved ones, and these are all symptoms of a broken damaged, wounded spirit. So I don't know, maybe you're here tonight and you feel like, man, I just, I'm having a hard time. Go back to the source of that damage. Go back to the source of if your spirit is broken. Was it bad news? Was it a negative text? Was it a rude look that somebody gave you? Was it the loss of a friend? We all go through those things, but oftentimes we're not aware 
that our spirits are damaged. And so we blame our behavior on other things. I'm just stressed out right now. Uh, I just have too much going on. Look deeper at the spirit. Maybe you're living with a wounded spirit. If you're allowing your emotions to control you, then your flesh is in control of you, not the spirit of God. If your emotions are making you do things that you wouldn't normally do, then you need to find out what's going on there. And so tonight, very quickly, three things that we can do if we have a wounded spirit. Three things that you can do. Number one, clean the wound. Clean the wound. I remember when I was on my bike, I was eight years old, driving as fast as my little white legs could take me. And I'm flying down this gravel road and a car came up behind me. He was speeding. My mom, she could tell you the truth. I'm not lying about this. The car literally swerved to hit me. I don't know why. I think it was a teenager probably, but swerved to hit me. And I, and I saw him coming and I dove off my bike and I landed in the gravel and I split my elbow open right here. And it was about an inch wide. And I looked down and I could see my bone, Patrick. And I thought to myself, self, that's not good. No, I started screaming. And so uh, I got like, this huge ga- gaping wound and there was gravel. I remember there was gravel inside of there. And I thought to myself, we'll just leave it in there. Just cover it up. <laughs> but no, we went and we saw my aunt. My aunt, she's a tough cookie, man. I went in there and she grabbed my arm and she pinched the, 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 the wound shut with her hands. And then she said, give me a rag. And I said, not a rag. And she said, give me a rag. And she started wiping the gravel out of the wound. I'm like, ah, it was like I was in Vietnam, man. It was crazy. You know, it hurts to clean a wound. You know that when your kids scrape their knee and you get a little peroxide, and they start screaming their head off. No. It hurts to clean the wound, but we have to clean the wound. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've been off the charts lately, your emotions, you have some confession to do. And all God's people said, you have some people to apologize to. Don't look at me like a cow at a new gate. I'm sorry for being... I'm sorry that I said, I've been, I've been way out of line. You have some people you need to apologize to. If you've been off the charts with your emotions and, uh, and listen, so confess the sin, clean the wound, apologize to who you need to apologize. If you hurt somebody, go straight to them, fix those things, clean the wound, clean it. If you have a damaged spirit, is that something that you can clean? Is there something between you and a brother? Is there something between you and your spouse? Clean the wound. Figure out the bottom line. What is the bottom line? And fix the problem. So clean the wound. Then number two, protect the wound. I'm almost done. Psalms 147.3, he healeth a, the broken in heart. And I love this part. And he bindeth up their wounds. How many of you have ever had an ingrown toenail? Raise your hand high, you proud ingrown toenail people. <laughs> you ever had an ingrown toenail and then kick something when you had an ingrown toenail? And you, you wouldn't swear, but you'd write them down and sign your name to them. You know what I'm talking about? There's nothing worse than having an injury and then hurting that injury. If you have a wound, you need to protect the wound. And how do you do that? You have to give it to the Lord. You have to give it to the Lord. He healeth the broken in heart, and he bindeth up their wounds. Let God bind up. Let God put a cast on that wound today. You know what I think of? I think of grace. Maybe somebody hurt you. The, 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 the binding of the wound is giving them grace. And then lastly tonight, monitor the wound. 
Monitor the wound. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And this is really the essence of our self-awareness of our spirits. What's going on? Watch yourself. Keep an eye on your spirit. If you're snapping at people, if you're being rude at somebody at Starbucks, if you're not being the Christian, and by the way, Christians ought to behave like this all the time, not just during Christmas and Easter, amen? We ought to be good to people all the time. We ought to have a smile on our face all the time. We ought to be kind to people when they ask us a question. Say, Pastor, that's asking too much. No, it's not because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us with that. I, I freely confess to you that I, I fail very often in this area. But we have, plenty of, we have plenty of access to the Holy Spirit's power. Keep an eye. Monitor that wound. If you find yourself out of control, responding in anger, criticism, go back to the wound and make sure that there isn't some kind of infection developing. This is a simple verse tonight, but boy, we must fight for self-control in our lives. We must fight. We know that the struggle for self-control is real. We see the solution for self-control is spirit control, and we see the need to be self-aware of our self-control. Let's pray together tonight.